and welcome back to another episode of the Full Football Fanalyst Podcast. Make sure you guys follow us on Twitter at Football Foe. That's Football F-A-U-X. Make sure you like, comment, and subscribe to the podcast page on SoundCloud and Apple's iTunes Podcast app. I am one of your two co-hosts, Justin, quote-unquote, Skywalker Palizzi. You can follow me on Twitter at Palizzi21 underscore. That's P-O-L-I-Z-Z-I, 21 underscore. My co-host, the guy on the other side of the screen, Matt. How's it going, buddy? It's going awesome, man. I am super stoked about tonight. I know we were texting about it earlier, and I was just getting amped up because I was doing all my research. And... You know, got to watch a few dress rehearsals, quote unquote, dress rehearsal. Right. Yeah, I got to see the Giants play like starters play like a drive uh, for us. Ended up being three points, and I got to see Daniel Jones, Jones for a quarter and a half. So it was pretty enjoyable. What about you? What What did the Patriots do? Did uh, Brady play play more than one drive? Yeah, they were playing like the entire first like quarter and a half. Like they put in work, but that was really the only time Brady's played this off season. Yeah. Uh, I think he was like seven for 12. He had a few good things. Like um, one of your guys, not to foreshadow too much, looked really good tonight. Oh, yeah, of course. I can't wait to uh, dive in and talk talk about uh, that specific running back in the Patriots backfield. One thing I did want to point out to you that I found pretty ironic. We haven't had much luck with our Scott Fishbowl team based off after we drafted, of course, you know, some of the things like the Melvin Gordon uh, holdout, the AJ Green injury. And then there's a few players that actually, their hours are actually pointing up because of some other things that are going on, which we'll get into when we talk about the preseason news. But I got to see CJ Uzoma catch a 30-yard bomb from Andy Dalton for a touchdown. I'm just like, if that was Eifert, my night would have been made. But the fact that it was the backup tight end, it's just like, that's just another thing that we have to worry about now for our Scott Fishbowl team being that we're Tyler Eifert owners. That's just because Eifert, like, they just won't put him out there unless they have to now. Like, right, I know right. we have him. Like, our tight ends, and we understand, just so everybody is out there that is hearing this, we do understand how tight ends are, like, prioritized in the Scott Fishbowl. <laughs> well, I'd just say prioritized. Yeah. But, like, I feel so comfortable with our team that once it gets rolling, like the tight end premiums, not even going to matter. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Hit like great. That's just a bonus to us. Yeah. And speaking of our Scott fishbowl team, let's get into the preseason post week two news and some stock ups and stock down of some of these players. And we'll start off with two players that are currently on our Scott fishbowl team. And that's Emmanuel Sanders. And Peyton Barber. We'll start off with Emmanuel Sanders first. Matt, what are your thoughts of how he looked his first game back? And I got to say, forget the 40-yard or 60-yard bomb, whatever it was that he caught from Flacco. That I kind of expect regardless of what kind of injury you're coming back from. But when he ran that end around for 19 yards and he was cutting back in, I was like, hey, he he looks like he got his feet right back underneath him. Yeah. A word to describe it was just surprised. You know, like, you're always hopeful that athletes can come back from things like this and, like, look kind of like them old selves. You just don't expect it. Right. But it doesn't look like he got hurt in December. (laughs) Exactly. For the Achilles injury on top of that. Right. Like, you're – to me, that's somebody who, like, tore an ACL last offseason and had a full year to recover. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I'm yeah. good on seeing him. I don't need to see him the rest of the preseason. He, I don't need to see him in dress rehearsal. We got you got your shine. You got your two catches. I think he was, and then one run play. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I like. I'm excited because we got him really late because there was no real news, and no one's ever gonna bank on it. Like, right, because it's the Achilles injury. Like players, right. you know, take two years off from football and no one even come back from that. Right, like the Achilles now is like how the ACL used to be. Used to be, yeah, right. You, you absolutely right on that. And another player, and I didn't even know this. You actually pointed it out right before we hopped on here. Rojo apparently has swelling in the knee, and he's going to take a step back with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So that obviously puts a stock up. Well, it has to put a stock up in Peyton Barber, whose ADP is actually like, what, two rounds later than where Rojo's currently going. Oh, yeah. And I was so excited. Like, whenever I mock, like, I always just end up, like, with Barber. Not like I'm looking for him. Yeah. Because it's not like I'm prioritizing someone who hasn't proven a whole lot. <laughs> like, we've seen the weirdest outputs of Tampa Bay Buccaneer running backs over the years. Like, Doug Martin looked all right. Quiz Rogers looked all right. <laughs> now, Peyton Barber. It's like, you can, there's just nothing you can bank on. Right, and whoever's the guy under Bruce Arians is it's someone you're gonna want on your squad. And the only reason why Rojo and Peyton Barber are going so late in drafts is because both were very underwhelming last year. Yeah. There is a thought in the fantasy community that neither of them are particularly good. I know Rojo had a lot of hype coming out of last year, but he hasn't proven anything now. And mm-hmm. I actually was I just wanted to double check. I was right on that. Rojo's going at nine oh six according to uh, FFC. And Peyton Barber's going at 11.04. So I expect Barber's ADP to definitely rise. I would be even surprised if if they end up just like completely like flip-flopping if the knee swelling becomes more of an issue. If anybody's even paying attention. Like, <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know, to be honest. <laughs> so, yeah, like, I it out. so uh, but yeah, like both those guys and you know, the Peyton Barber news is just good for us, just in light of the Melvin Gordon situation not getting right. better. Right. Which kind of so, goes into another part of our news <laughs> right? with just Melvin Gordon's holdout not getting any better. Like Schefter's come out and talked out numerous times about this is getting bad. Like they're over a million dollars apart. And especially, uh, I don't want to spoil too much in one of our next news segments, but in light of some newer news of another player, <laughs> that number could get further apart. Right. So, yeah. And that player that Matt's referring to is none other than Zeke Elliott, the other big-name running back that's holding out right now with the Dallas Cowboys. And at first there was, like, some news. I think it was, what, two days ago that the Cowboys were going to announce a big signing at, like, 530. And that <laughs> yeah. ended up being um, – Jalen Smith. J- yeah, Jalen Smith. I mean, good for him, you know, coming back from the big injury when he was playing at Notre Dame and then getting ultimately drafted with the Dallas Cowboys. He's made a name for himself, but – Apparently, there's been an offer made to Zeke Elliott. And Matt, I know that I, once that happened, I wrote to you and I said, there's no way Gordon is playing this year. Because right. if they're offering, and here's the report. The report is that they offered um, Zeke Elliott the second highest, what would be the second highest contract. So according, I don't know who was the source, but I heard it on the radio as I was driving in from work, driving back home from work. He's gonna. He was offered more than the thirteen five that Bell got from the Jets, but less than the fourteen twenty five that the Rams were giving Gurley. So, 
being that, and this is just my opinion, being that Zeke doesn't really have much leverage because he doesn't have enough good years and he still has potentially two franchise years that franchise tag years that the Cowboys could potentially use on him. I think he ultimately just takes a deal because he's basically getting the deal that he would be getting in two years, just two years earlier. And I think it's fine. I think ultimately he ends up signing. I think it's a win-win for both of them. And uh, I think ultimately he suits up by week one. So, yeah, I, I'm of that same mindset is that he has to play this year. The difference in the situations is Zeke is currently entering his fourth year in the league, which would typically be the final year of your contract. But it's not. But when you're a first-round pick, you obviously have your fifth-round option. So he has very little leverage other than just saving his body for as much as long as he can until he reports. Melvin Gordon's the one that can basically do the bell thing. Yeah, and I highly doubt the uh, Chargers end up signing him next year, like um, based off what basically happened now. But yeah, I think the Zeke deal definitely does get uh, done eventually, and hopefully later than sooner because we have a draft coming up and I have the four picks, and I'm hoping Zeke Elliott ends up landing, falling down to me there because I already know you have the first pick, and if he signs, before our drive, I already know where you're going with it. So, oh yeah, Zeke is easily my one on one if he signs. Yeah. So, big news, and not that I am a Washington fan. Actually, I despise the Redskins. But someone who had a lot of hype coming into drafts last year before tearing his ACL, before even playing the snap for the Washington Redskins, is Darius guys. He played his first game today, his first preseason action of the year. And not only was it his first action, but on his first carry, he looked a little sluggish, a little slow. Obviously, he hasn't had game action, but he stepped on someone straight to the floor and ran for like another five yards, bodied someone, and then got pushed out of bounds. So uh, that's all I saw from him. But I think it's finally good to see guys get out there healthy and start playing. Right. And it's we talked, and I'm a year away. I'm still a year away on guys. AP's still there, and we know what he's like when he's not the guy, so I don't think you're going to really see that. Right. Um, especially with Jay Gruden kind of in a hot seat situation. Mm-hmm. Like, he's going to have to just put AP out there and try to win games. Like, there is no more, let's see what guys can do. Like, you have to save your job at this point. So yeah. I'm a year away on guys, and the Redskins just – look awful anyways like I don't think any very highly of them guys did look good like I think once he gets his feet under him and he starts getting in better shape like he just recently got cleared so he's not even anywhere near game shape he may be like that guy that you waste the a for ninth round pick wherever he's going I, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you off the top of my head and you end up drafting him, not necessarily hoping you can start him right away, but you kind of hold and wait and see. Or maybe he's in a guy that maybe gets dropped or a guy that you acquire in a trade as a he's a throw-in player. And you hold him to see what he's going to eventually become later on in the year because I don't see him starting the season as a starter unless something drastically changes from now and in two weeks because we're exactly two weeks away from the start of the season. One of the most annoying players that – were 
being forced to deal with right now in drafts because of how much of a high ceiling he has, but how much of a baby that he's been this offseason is Antonio Brown. And we know that the helmet thing is, is being a bigger issue than it needs to be, to be honest. And he's not going to win this thing. He ended up finding the same exact helmet that was less than 10 years and eventually ended up failing. So, I mean, I don't know what he's going to do next. A good thing is he's, he's back at practice. He's uh, back at Raiders camp. You know, he's, he's practicing. I, I, this is just my honest opinion. I honestly just think he's just doing this just to milk it so he doesn't have to play in training camp and preseason. That's, I honestly think that's why he – I think he knows that he has a helmet that he's going to end up wearing, and he's just milking it so that he doesn't have to practice. Oh, yeah. Like, he is the diva of the NFL right now. You yeah. know, like, every era has one. And we just are happen to be in the world that AB lives in right now. And like, I'm with you. I think it's all for show. And he even did that really, I don't know if you saw the tweet or if I texted it to you, but the one where somebody posted saying that the hard knocks ratings tripled in the Pittsburgh area. And he quote tweets it with my ex still thinks about me. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm like, I don't even know. Oh my that. god! Like, I laughed, but that is so petty. And exactly what we're defining right now is like the diva that he <laughs> is. Like, why are you even? Why do you care, bro? Yeah, you're about yeah. to make thirty million dollars whether people watch your show or not. Right, and it sucks because he's like his ADP, like it's it's dropping, it's dropping. Before it was mid second, now it's late second, early third, and. That's an amazing spot for a guy in AB who is, you know, quote unquote, the best receiver in the NFL. That doesn't really necessarily always translate to fantasy production. But I mean, I would love to have AB on my team. It's, it's all, I would love to get as many shares of him as I can. But this whole fiasco is just making me want to just stay away from him because it's just too many question marks and it's too early in draft capital to get involved in. So from one wide receiver to another who has had some off the field issues. Josh Gordon has been reinstated by the NFL and has reported to Patriots camp. Matt, this is your realm. Um, right now, I think he's going in the seventh round. I love me some Josh Gordon. Now we have to adjust our wide receiver rankings accordingly because we didn't rank him because he wasn't, he wasn't said to play. Um, yeah, he wasn't rankable. Um, so we have to see where we put him there. Right off the top of my head, I feel like I'll put him anywhere between that 28 to 40 range and then work my way up there. But how do you feel about the whole situation? Is he now the the receiver to own, not name Edelman? Yes. But that's not saying much because, like, right. we showed what he could do in that offense in a very limited amount of time, which for that offense is incredible that he was able to do what he did do. <laughs> like, yeah, he looked good. He didn't look like he was in shape, but he looked good. But how many games are you going to get? out of him that's the issue <laughs> like that's the issue was the last time he played 16 games in 2012 his rookie year like and it's not really something to joke about like because you're not just dealing with someone just constantly screwing up it's evolved past that into the addictions phases and the mental health side of it so it's a serious thing in his world but his world is our fantasy reality. <laughs> like, so, 
Like yeah, a seventh yeah. rounder. Again, I mentioned it earlier. I'm a little more conservative. He's not draftable to me unless he's like gets dropped or doesn't get drafted or he's so late that it's just worth it to be like my flex <laughs> if I need him there. So yes, he's going at the 707 right now. It may be too rich of a price to play, pay, but um, I'm going to actually talk about more of the players who are going around Josh Gordon and now we're in our dud section. So I don't want to yeah. spend too much time on that because it's, I, 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 you'll get where I'm going at and now listeners will get where I'm going at when we move on to that later yeah. on. So just something that kind of popped up on the feed today. I was curious because I want to bring it up to you, Justin, because I commented on it. And there's a question of the day I kind of want to bring in just because on Twitter, Matthew Betts at the Fantasy PT posted, name a player you've been hearing analysts tell you to draft all offseason. But when you're on the clock and they're available, you just can't push the button. Like you're scrolling down to see who else is available. (laughs) (laughs) The list goes on and on with players like this. (laughs) Oh man. Like when I'm looking in like the sixth round at the running backs that are there, I'm like clicking tabs over to wide receivers. Yeah, I I feel it. But I kind of want to start with you because I already answered this online earlier. So I want to hear yours and then I'll kind of revisit mine. Right. So the one guy that, and oddly enough, I am actually pretty fine with his ADP. Like, I think it's a good spot for Damian Williams running back for the Kansas City Chiefs. He's going 212-301, or 301, right? So the, either the last pick in the second or the first pick in the third. I think that's a fine ADP spot for him, actually, because we actually have him in our consensus, I think, like nine or ten running back ring. Now, that was prior to all the preseason hype on all the other running backs in that backfield, as well as him being injured and not playing with starters. But when it comes to someone like Williams, and I see him on the board, and it's like the potential of what could be. Whoever's going to take that hunt role and take it 100% and run with it is going to mean money no matter where you pick them. It could be your first pick. It could be your last pick. It's going to be worth to get that running back on that offense in Kansas City. I just don't see it with Williams. I Like I said to you before, on the air, off the air, texting, on the phone, wherever wherever we talk, I'm, I've said it before, I say it again. I just, I'm not convinced he's a good running back. And I'm not going to look at those last five games last year without Hunt and be like, okay, yeah, Damian Williams, you scored 10 touchdowns in, in five games. But you barely t- scored touchdowns prior to that. Yes, it was in Miami, but regardless, you averaged 3.4 yards per carry career-wise, including what you did last year. I just don't think he's he's good. I, I, I get that he's going to be the lead guy and it may be his job to lose. I don't think someone else playing well is going to warrant him being benched unless him physically is playing, playing bad. But I just I just don't see it. I see Damian Williams on the board. I'm just like, eh, next guy. Like, I'd rather take Mac and Devontae Freeman. Uh, Devontae Freeman... And they both are going after him in drafts. And another thing that we didn't want to mention in the news and notes section was that apparently Carlos Hyde is on the bubble. Uh, We don't really look too much into that. I think we both, Matt, I think you you and I both think he'll still make the team. But apparently uh, Darwin Thompson has passed him on the depth chart and he is continuing to rise. And 
when you have a young back like that who's a lot faster and a lot more humble and looks to be the better fit for Andy Reid's offense, it scares you to take a guy like Damian Williams with that much high draft capital. Yeah, and I agree with everything that you said, just especially with, like, look at Damian's time in Miami. He was never relied on to be the guy. He couldn't beat out Lamar Miller, <laughs> and he couldn't really beat out Kenyon Drake. But I think he was there for both of them, and it just never worked. It's just It seems really bizarre to trust a guy who's right. so average. But it's yeah. like I, it's just the the offense. Yeah, and like I said, I I think his ADP is actually pretty good. Like I like I originally he was going like what mid second right or early second, um, based off where actually where we had him rank and where he was going prior. Now, and right now yeah he's going at the two twelve. I want to see where he was going over the course of the last few months, and yeah, yeah. So exactly July twenty ninth. So a little bit less than a month ago he was going at the two oh six, and now he's dropped a whole half around. You know, within within less than a month. So obviously, the fantasy community can see it too. It's just, it's worrisome. But I think I think the third round's a good spot for him. Like if if you're willing to draft him and take that chance, I think that's as good as it's gonna get. Yeah, like Damian Williams in that offense is the is a really good zero RB running or like running back. If you go wide receiver, wide receiver to start off your draft, like right. And when you do that, you're you're banking on a bunch of running backs anyway. So it what other running back would you like to bank on other than Damian Williams? You know what I mean? Like, it's it's not that bad of a pick. I just look at him and I can't. Anyways, I want to know the guy that you are looking are seeing in drafts and just you look at him and then you look the other way because you can't just bear to draft him because I'm actually very high on this guy. But based on his ADP, I just don't see myself grabbing him in a second. So my guy is on Johnson. And I... You know, you, you read on Johnson is supposed to be the guy. It's Darren Bevel. It's a run-first offense. on has got to be the guy. They get rid of Theo Riddick. Okay, now we've got a total bell cow because now he's got the passing work. It, but no matter it, what Darryl, Darren Bevel wants to do it, to feed one person, you still have to get it past the head coach, who's Matt Patricia, who comes from the Belichick school of thought where we're just going to rotate running backs to keep them, keep them there. So I just can't see him dominating consistently. Like maybe he'll be uber efficient, but I don't think you're going to see like LeGarrette Blunt took touches away from him. Why on earth would he do that? (laughs) It wasn't that LeGarrette Blunt was that much like that close in talent, but it was because of who the locker rooms ran by. But you just, I can't see it. It's the clash of philosophy there. The Seattle feed beast mode, you know, 20, 30 times a game. Yeah. To the, to the what I already mentioned, the school of thought with, from New England, where you're just going to have a one running back that does something well, whether it's just run it or whether it's catch it. Yeah, and it was worrisome to see that he was splitting time with the first unit. You saw him come in. You saw C.J. Anderson come in. And you saw that that T.J. Johnson guy or whatever the hell his name was come in. So it's like, 
Is he the guy? Is he not the guy? Is, is he going to split carries? He's not. Is he just going to be a one and two down back and not play third down? Like, we went into the season thinking that he was going to be able to catch the ball more. So, I mean, this is what happens when running backs fail to progress in the blocking scheme of things because that's the only reason why because he carry on not being on the field all three downs. It's because of the fact that he struggles in pass protection, which we, we've seen it with guys like your guy, Miles Sanders, right? Like, that's his downfall. It's like he can't pass protect. So will he just be down on specific situations? But, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you on carry on. I love carry on going into next year, just not at this price. I can't. Like, the way I, I feel about Damian Williams, AD, the way I feel about uh, Damian Williams ADP, I like it. It's fine. I wouldn't draft him still, but I still, I think that's a fine ADP. This ADP for, for carrying on is just way too high. Yeah, and in the reference of it, he is going around the same time as Damian Williams. So it's like if I had to pick between Damian Williams and Carrion Johnson, I'm not taking Carrion Johnson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and sadly, I'm right there with you because at least I know – Later on in drafts, I don't have to reach too far to get Darwin if if that's how I wanted to play it. Right. You can't handcuff Johnson because there's too many backs there that you just don't know who's the guy. Exactly. So we're so. gonna go ahead. So we're gonna go ahead and take a short commercial break to give our sponsors a chance to say a word. We'll be right back. Are you tired of playing the same old style of DFS on your typical site? Well then try Thrive Fantasy. Thrive Fantasy is a new DFS app for prop bets. They have streamlined the drafting process and eliminated the need to do unnecessary hours of research by only using the top tier athletes. Instead of the traditional salary cap format, you build your lineup around a list of prop bets. For each contest, you need to choose 10 of the 12 available prop bets plus two ice picks that protect you from any late night scratches or postponed games. Each unique prop bet has an over and under with specific point values that will be rewarded if that prop bet is correct. For example, if Patrick Mahomes throws for over or under 250 yards, the less likely the prop is to occur, the more points you will be awarded. Thrive Fantasy, found at your local app store. When you join today, make a minimum $10 deposit and you will receive $10 in site credit when you use our code 3XF. Once again, join Thrive Fantasy today and use the full football fanless podcast code 3XF to receive $10 in site credit. So make sure you sign up and join today and make sure to use our code 3XF for a free $10 in Thrive Fantasy credit. All right, and we are back. And now to follow up with what we just talked about with the question of the day and who we were not exactly high on that we just can't see ourselves picking, I want to roll right into the same subject with at their current ADP, who do we feel is a guaranteed dud this year? We just think that they're not going to be worth it and they are actually going to cost you more than they're going to help you. So so it's it's kind of like a similar question to what the question of the day was, but this is more so not just someone you're going to stay away from, but just someone you think is not going to be worth the price that you're paying. Right. Well, in like, like Damian Williams, we know will produce carry on Johnson. We feel like could produce. These are guys that I don't think even at their ADP will produce enough to be worth it. Right. 
So that's basically what we're getting at here. So we're going to give you guys some studs and some duds at their current ADP and tell you, you think this guy's going to be a stud at that ADP? Go ahead and go get them. This guy, we think he's going to be a dud at that ADP. Go ahead, stay away from him. <laughs> so Matt, who is your dud based off current ADP? All right. I'm going to go with Tariq Cohen. Oof. A lot of people might hate. And in the background, Montgomery truthers go wild. Right. Well, <laughs> something that helped those truthers sleep at night is the fact that Matt Nagy himself said he wanted to rein in Tariq Cohen's workload, which he was on the snap by snap basis was really neck and neck with Jordan Howard last year. So if you're trying to go from a 50 50 split down, you're banking on touchdowns with Tariq Cohen, which are not predictable at all. So you're really not going to get the desired output in the sixth round where he's going. Cause I'd rather go after, you know, like an Austin Eckler who is going in just right in front of him, or I'll take Latavius Murray, a shot on him because I know what that Saints offense is going to look like, and I know what Mark Ingram was able to do in that offense. So I just don't think Tariq Cohen's going to be worth it. And is this going to be the year, because he is a smaller framed person, that he's just going to take a hit? Like, I can't get behind drafting Tariq Cohen in the sixth round at all. Yeah, and I feel like, I mean, the nagging thing is news to me, at least. I didn't know about this either until you ended up pointing it out. This Cohen is one of those guys that, remember how Duke Johnson came out of nowhere two years ago and became like the wide receiver 11 or 12 or whatever it was in full PPR? Mm -hmm. And, you know, everyone predicted that he was going to regress the next year, and lo and behold, he did. You know, he was still a viable option for a flex at best-case scenario. But he never returned to that RB1, RB2 role. I've kind of seen that with Tyree Cohen. I still think he's going to be a starter on probably 90% of teams, depending on if you play a 12-man or 10-man league or Superflex or whatnot. But if you're in a regular standard redraft, half-point PPR, 12-man team redraft league, yeah, drafting Cohen in the sixth round is not going to be worth it. I agree with you because I don't think it's going to be – that sixth-round price is too much to pay. I'd rather get Eckler, someone who's ahead of him. I'd rather go ahead and grab myself Baker Mayfield, who's going right after him, you know, in the sixth yeah. round. Grab myself, a, grab myself my quarterback one. Why not? So the price may be too rich to pay for Cohen, but ultimately I don't think he lives up to the ADP as well. Well, and real quick, like who would you rather pick, Philip Lindsay or Tariq Cohen? Uh, rather, and this is just the player or based off where they're going? Uh, just the player. I'd rather take Lindsay. Okay. Tariq Cohen or Derrick Henry? <laughs> Which, uh, that one's tough because I know how we both feel about that. I'd rather take <sighs> Henry is, uh, he's, is, he'll never be on my team. Henry would never be on my team. So I have to stick with how I feel about Henry and I'm going to go Cohen. Okay. So here's a little bit harder. Tariq Cohen or Chris Carson? Oh, Chris Carson. Easily. Chris, Chris Carson's ADP has skyrocketed up. He's like going in like the late third, early fourth now. Meanwhile, like a few weeks ago, he was going in like the eighth or seventh round. So Chris Carson, my long shot. So Philip Lindsay finished last year in half PPR as the running back 12. Tariq Cohen, the running back 13. 
Derrick Henry was number 14. Chris Carson was number 15. Right. And, and the thing with those running backs, they, they did everything on the ground. Like Tyree Cohen legitimately did everything through the air. Now, he did have some work on the ground, and he did have some points running the ball, but mostly was because of the pass-catching ability of his, of his skill set. And with Montgomery there now, if he's anything near what people are saying that he can be, we already know that he's going to dominate some of the, the, the passing down the plays as well. Not dominate, but he's going to get a lot more opportunity out that backfield catching the ball than what Hort, uh, Howard did last year. Not to mention, they also got Mike Davis there now, who's technically a pass catcher back as well. Exactly. Tariq Cohen's nothing more than a gadget player to me right now, which I find hilarious because they also have Cordero Patterson now. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to go ahead and give you my dud. And my duds are actually a combo of two players. It's Christian Kirk, wide receiver for the Cardinals. <gasps> He's going at the 703. And I said it was a combo. I'm going Colin Murray, too, who's going at the 1002, who is going off the board. And this baffles me as the quarterback 12. So I'll start off first with Christian Kirk. Christian Kirk last year had 68 targets when he only played through 12 game. And the main thing that worries me about the opportunity for Christian Kirk going forward is that the three guys who out-targeted him last year, it was four from the team in targets, the three guys that out-targeted him in targets last year are all still on the roster. Fitz, DJ, and Seals Jones. They're all still on the roster. Arizona goes ahead and drafted two rookie wide receivers, although Butler is hurt for the rest of the season. They still got Kayshawn Johnson, Andy Isabella, and Trent Sherfield, who's only into his second year on the team. And Trent Sherfield, whether you believe it or not, he's been their best receiver this preseason so far. He leads them in both catches and yards. And uh, I know Butler got hurt, and then we talked about it earlier that the Crabtree signing now. So I, I just can't invest in it. And I feel like seventh round pick for Christian Kirk, someone who hasn't even really proved anything. It's just too much to invest in a wide receiver and an offense that doesn't focus on one singular talent wide receiver. For those of you that don't know, the air raid offense, the reason why there's no NFL teams that run it, but there are NFL teams that run branches off of it, kind of like how Baker and Kitches are doing in Cleveland and how Andy Reid and Mahomes are doing in, in, in Kansas City, they're not running a air raid offense. They're running a, a branch off of it. They're, they're running a 11 personnel, which always keeps a tight end on the field. Now, when you're the Browns and when you're the, the, the Chiefs, a little bit easier to run 11 personnel when you have a top, top athletic tight end on your team. The Cardinals don't have that. Ricky Seals Jones, as much as we want to like him, it's going to be hard to, to buy into him as a threat at the tight end position when Cliff Kingsbury has never had a tight end produce except for one year. And I'm going to get into that in a little bit. It's pretty, pretty funny, actually. So, you know, they're going to they're run four wide receiver sets all the time. And if you're going to have Christian Kirk, Fitz, looks like Kayshawn Johnson is going to win that, that third wide receiver uh, position. And then I don't know whether it's Crabtree or Andy Isabella as that fourth wide receiver. That's four wide receivers. That's four mouths to feed. And you're going to be running that offense, that personnel, about 65 to 75% of the time on the field. Like, when are you just going to have Christian Kirk and Larry Fitz running out there with, you know, with two tight ends or two running backs and just giving them the, the, you know, the full share of the wide receiver routes? I don't see it happening. I don't. And 
but before I get into the funny tight end stat about uh, uh, Cliff Kingsbury, I want to talk about some of the receivers. I mean, some of the players that are going around where Christian Kirk is going. Christian Kirk is going at the 702, right? I said wide receiver 32 off the board. That you can get Matt Ryan or Carson Wentz as your quarterback one in the seventh round by not taking Christian Kirk and taking one of them instead. You could get Josh Gordon, who has easily a higher ceiling than Christian Kirk. You could get Kenyon Drake, who just got off a walking book and should be the bell cow in Miami. You could get Curtis Samuel and Allen Robinson, two wide receivers that, Matt, both you and I have ranked higher than Christian Kirk and is ranked higher in our consensus. I just, I can't see it. I can't see myself drafting him at that seventh spot. And therefore, that's why I think he's going to be a dud. And the Kyler Murray thing was just more of a shout out because if I think Christian Kirk and that office is not going to thrive, obviously, I think that reflects on quarterback a rookie quarterback who's going as the QB 12 off the board, which is ridiculous because just based off the top of my head and looking at where he's going right now, Jameis Winston, I would take over Murray and drafts. Mitchell Trubisky, I would take over him. Kirk Cousins, Phillip Rivers, Dak, Big Ben, and maybe Josh Allen, I would take over Kyler Murray. And yet these quarterbacks are all going after Murray. So it's just baffling to me. And then the funny thing I wanted to point out about the air raid offense, guess who was the one receiver who had the most receptions in the Cliff Kingsbury offense in college? He, Michael Crabtree. It was not Michael. I don't think uh. he ever coached Michael Crabtree. Actually, I did not see him there. Uh. Um, Jakeem Grant was third with 90 receptions in 13 games in one season, who we all know now plays for Miami. Kiki Cutie was the second most with 92 or 94, I believe the number was, who now plays in Houston. Very similar type of receivers right there. The wide receiver that had the most receptions in the Cliff Kingsbury offense was not a wide receiver. It was former New York Jets tight end Jace Amaro, who I don't even think is in the league anymore. (laughs) He had 102 catches. I believe it was in 2013 and 2014 in that air raid offense. And then you look at everybody else, and everybody else has 60, 60, 60, or 40 catches. Like, the ball is spread out way too much for me to spend a seventh-round pick on a wide receiver that I could probably not even play at my flex without feeling like, okay, here we go. You know, like taking a shot on him. So um, I know I took up a lot of time, but that's, I know Christian Kirk has been hyped up this offseason tremendously, tremendously. And I, I just don't see it, especially not at the 702. I think he's going to be a dud at his current ADP. Hey, I'm with you. I, I even texted you saying I'm kind of taking DJ off or down a few pegs. Like, right. The offense hasn't looked good. It hasn't good. And like I said, I, I mean, you, well, we both said it, but you, you said it, like, you don't want to overreact, but what are you supposed to do? Like, it doesn't look anything like what we were told it's supposed to look like. Right. And I don't overreact to like, maybe like a player's stats, but I'm just seeing that offensive line not do what they should be doing. <laughs> and it's like, and if they start running more 11 personnel, maybe we can buy into Kirk because that's one less receiver off the field. But the fact that they're going to be running out double spreads all the time or trips formation, let's be realistic. If they run trips, is Christian Kirk going to be the lone receiver by himself on the other side? I, I don't think so. 
I don't think so. So I don't know. It's just really hard to buy into anybody outside of DJ on that team right now. Exactly. Yeah. So we're going to go ahead and move on to our stud player at their current ADP. And Matt, I can't wait to hear about the guy that you're going to talk about because not only has his stock risen, but the fact that his stock risen and he still is going to be a stud at his current ADP shows you what kind of player he is and what kind of potential he has in a Kyle Shanahan offense. Exactly. So if that didn't give it away, <laughs> my, my stud at his ADP is Tevin Coleman going currently at the 503 mark. Nice. So Tevin Coleman, we thought that he was going to break out last year because Devonta Freeman got hurt and there was the unprovenness behind them and he still couldn't really do it. I blame start Steve Sarkeesian and how that <laughs> offense was ran. Um, I feel like with San Francisco's offense and the Kyle Shanahan offense in general, he's kind of going back. It was like he left home after being so studly to go like be college and then he got knocked down to earth. So it's like he's going back home to Kyle Shanahan who knows how to use him, who Tevin Coleman can trust to use him correctly. And with Jarek McKinnon already not, not probably going to be ready for the season uh, with Matt Breida kind of nursing a chest injury. Uh, I think Raheem Mostert is already hurt again. Like the running back depth chart is getting depleted by the moment. <laughs> which looked so good. And so, so, so crowded. Yeah. It's, it's getting thin. Yeah. So, to get Tevin Coleman after like say four picks already, like you've already possibly gotten two running backs and two wide receivers, and then you're gonna grab Tevin Coleman. Like that is amazing to me. Or if you just want to load up early on wide receivers and then you still get Tevin Coleman, who's probably gonna be easily a top 15 back. Like it's just amazing to me that he is so mid-tier. And it just might be basically how drafts are falling with him. It's just kind of like one of those, oh, Devin Coleman's there. I'll just grab him. But I just don't see uh, too many people who have a higher ceiling with kind of a track record of a similar offense. Yeah, and I feel like the fifth round is actually pretty good for him. I mean, and if you're – if you're actually doing no wide receiver, think about that. I mean, no running back, think about that. You can possibly land not only your guy, but the guy I'm about to talk about next in my stud as your two running backs or just Coleman, just sticking with Coleman as your first running back. I mean, that's pretty awesome because he has a high floor, whether it's half point PPR standard or full point PPR, like he, cause he catches the ball and he's shown that he can run between the tackles. Now, was a little underwhelming last year, right, with the with the Falcons. And we all thought that that would be his breakout year with Freeman not in the picture. But I think things would probably be different. Now, Jimmy G definitely has to start playing better in order for his running back to produce. Just, you know, just throwing that out there real quick. But uh, I definitely agree with Tevin Coleman being a stud. And I think uh, he actually jumped off full round. So as of 
a week and a half ago, he was going at six, oh, 601, 602. And now he's going at the 501, 502. So uh, I'm, not, I'm not bothered by the uh, fifth round price for someone like Tevin Coleman. Well, and so kind of like what I was describing with, you know, that familiarity of a good offense. Um, in 2016, when Atlanta really was rolling on all cylinders, he was averaging 13 and a half points a game as the backup running back. As basically the guy last year, he dropped to 11. So that's a full two points. So either, you know, he was just catching less passes because they were trying to monitor that workload or he just wasn't as efficient in a different offense. So it's just like just seeing those two comparisons, the two points, you know, that's a field goal <laughs> like in a, in a fantasy game. Like a kicker could beat you because Tevin Coleman – is just not hitting <laughs> like and so this year i you know i see could see him hitting that 13 and a half and then if he really starts taking off you know getting into that top six competition of you know third like 14 and a half points a game that's that's great for a running back that you could get the fifth round right and i think his adp will actually shoot up a little bit more as we know a little as we know more or get more news about the McKinnon situation because the McKinnon does indeed start the season on an IR. To get Coleman right now the five hundred one, I think it's it's absolute value because I can see him going even higher mm-hmm. if McKinnon does go onto the IR. So I'll go ahead and talk about my stud and my stud and hey, you know, as much crap as I give you, man, about the Patriots, there's one guy on that team that I do happen to love, and that's so- Mr. Sony. Michelle, who is currently going right now at the 409 and baffles me, baffles me. But with respect to the news that we had prior to the preseason with his whole knee situation and the fact that they wasted, I want to say pretty, uh, pretty high draft capital in Damian, um, Damian Harris out of Alabama, you know, it led people to you know to worry about Michelle. And he had if you had early drafts in, you know, early August, late July, which why would you anyways? But if you happen to do so, that obviously definitely hurt Michelle's ADP. Last year he was drafted in the first round. And it was very unlike the Patriots to do such a thing, but they went ahead and did it. They brought him on pretty slowly. He had to get a knee scope to start the season, so he missed week one, comes back. Has 24 carries for 84 yards with tween, between his first two games as a Patriots in weeks two and three. They brought him. They brought him on pretty slowly. I guess just kind of working him in. But then he really hit his stride in weeks four, five, and six before getting hurt after four carries in week seven against Chicago. And you know, in that three-week span, Michelle was actually the running back eight, averaging 19.1 points and half-point PPR, which is pretty impressive. And I know it's a small sample size. You're saying, oh, it's just happy to be those three weeks. But you have to understand, running backs, it's, it's a very hard position to get in shape for. You know, you can be in the best shape of your life. We're going to see it with Bell this year, right? We, we, we saw a little bit with Darius Geis uh, on that one play that he had earlier today. It, it takes a while to get into that running back shape, and it took Michelle a few weeks to get into that shape. And we finally saw it. If he can stay healthy, I see him as worst case scenario, top 15 running back, somewhere between that mid RB2 to, 
to to high end RB two. But if you remember, Matt, when we talked about our top twelve running backs dropping out and our top twelve running backs going in, do you remember who my my running back was to go back into that top twelve? It was Mister Sony Michelle. That was the guy I talked about then, and now looking at his current ADP going at the ending of the fourth, I love it. I love it, and um. You know, we, you're the you're the you're the Patriots guy, but you know, you told me this reports coming out of camp that he's um you know he's catching p- passes out of the slot, he's getting more involved in the pass game, he's lining up there, and if there's no news about his knee going into drafts, fourth round for a guy like him in an offense like the Patriots who are going to be very run centric, I am jumping all aboard on that. Exactly, and. I was able to catch the first team offense tonight versus Carolina, which isn't a bad defense, but you still have Luke Kuechly there. You still have Shaq. Like there are good people. And the reason that I mentioned the linebackers is because he looked the Sony Michelle's burst tonight on a great run. Like that was basically all you had to do. It was just like pull, that play, pull him up, put him on ice. Cause like he bursted out into the second level and he was actually doing plants and cuts to get even more yardage. And like he proved that he could take contact last year, but he really showed his elusiveness tonight. So he is looking way more ahead of schedule than he was last year. Granny did have the scope and was held out quite a bit. So he's looking way better. I am very excited, but I do want to temper expectations. Like he's worth the fourth round pick. His knee thing isn't going to go away. So just right. be aware of that. Like, right. he's not putting up 18-plus points a game. It, you just have to be aware of that. It's very similar to that of the Todd Gurley situation. So based off what you know out of Patriots camp, right, and based off the beat writers that you follow, it's not a bad idea to waste a 14th or maybe 15th round pick on – one of those other backs in that bag. And now James White is going like two rounds later. So just wipe that out completely. You're not getting him. Right. I mean, if you want to go ahead and get Michelle and James White, by all means, go ahead. I just think that's not a good strategy. Is it Harris then? Would it be Burkhead? Who who would, if Michelle were to miss some time, and we've seen that he he has based off last year, and he may more than more than not miss some time next year. Who would be the guy? Would it just be James White and everybody else are just a few carries here, a few carries there? Or would they try to insert someone to take on that role? So it's going to be very interesting when cutdowns come up because there's a lot of questions right now around the wide receivers. And I know that they they like carrying one through 53, not you know one through 38 and then just grab 15 guys. So it's going to be very interesting how they spread the wealth amongst depth. Um but yeah, I believe it's Harris. If they for some reason can't like carry Harris because Burkhead is looking healthy, um, things like that. Brandon Bolden is back. He looks like he's going to be like the primary kick returner. So his job's safe. Granted, he's a special teams guy. Um, but yeah, Harris is the one who actually already looks like he doesn't look fast yet, but he looks like he has the vision already. Because he took one against Penn. Kind of like a LeGarrette Blunt role, I guess I'll, I'll probably play. Because I saw the run that he had last week. He didn't look fast at all. 
<laughs> no, no, he looked very. He fast. scored the touchdown. He scored the touchdown, but he did not look fast at all. And I actually just went on Twitter right now to see that Michelle run, and um, got me a little excited. Not gonna lie. Yeah, so he, so <laughs> does look good. Like Harris looks slow, and but I do feel like they're not gonna like like hand thirty plus touches to James White in a game. He can't do that. It's not in the school of thought there. Rex Burkhead hasn't proven that he could stay healthy. So Damian Harris is the guy. Like, and it's just by default, like by following the team. Right, right. So, so Matt, I, I'll let people take Burkhead all day. I, yeah. I will slide Harris at the end. All right, Matt. It's time for us to provide some sleepers for our listeners out there. We're gonna do some we're gonna do two quick ones for you guys here. Matt, I'll let you go here first because I'm very excited to hear about this wide receiver. All right. So I'm going to go with Jamison Crowder. And, like, Jamison Crowder has had his ups and downs. He had a really good year with Kirk Cousins. Then last year he kind of dropped off. And now he moved on because New York decided to pay him. (laughs) And currently, Jamison Crowder is going right at the beginning of the 12th round. And to me, that's an absolute steal because you're not expecting huge things out of these 12th round picks. Anything past the 10th, you're really just kind of hoping you hit on something. Yeah, you're just filling out your roster. Right. But I feel like with Jamison Crowder in the 12th round, you're actually getting a contributing piece that you might be able to take a risk on somebody, you know, like an A.J. Green earlier on. Because in the meantime, James C. Crowder can be there and be extremely useful. Weird thing, as much as I bash Adam Gase, and Justin knows how much I don't like this man. So from 2016 to 2018, when Adam Gase was surrounding himself in Miami, the Dolphins ranked first in receiving yards and second in catches from Wide receivers lining up in the slot. Hey, Justin, <laughs> where does James Crowder line up? I believe that is the slot, sir. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> so, realistically, if people are expecting Le'Veon Bell to take as much pressure off this offense as he, they expect, and Sam Darnold to take that leap, James Crowder could lead the league in catches. <laughs> he could be a 90-plus catch guy in an average offense. So in half and full-point PPRs, James Crowder at 12 in the 12th round is going to be an absolute steal. And last year I picked a guy in the 12th, and he ended up finishing as a top like 20 wide receiver. Yeah, he ended up finishing like the 14th best wide receiver, and that would be Tyler Lockett. And I feel like I'm onto something here with Jameson Crowder. So don't don't be just throwing darts anywhere. Take a look to see if Jameson Crowder's sitting there late in your drafts. Yeah, and here's here's one thing to add to that. Quincy Anunua, as good as he can be from the slot, and he's a lot more physical than Jameson Crowder will ever be. He can never stay healthy. That's been another one's thing. He missed a whole season in 2017. 
basically missed half of last season, even after building a rapport with Darnold. And now Chris Herndon is out for the first four weeks of the season. Uh, Jameson Crowder is probably going to lead that team in, in reception. It, it, I understand Bell's there, and it, it may be a Carolina-like situation where the running back is the best receiver on the team. And Bell is probably the best receiver, but I don't think he's going to lead the team in, in receptions. I think that will be Jameson Crowder. So if you're looking for a guy in those late rounds, like Matt just told you, and you play – and we, we're a half-point PPR podcast. But if you play specifically in full-point PPR, you're looking at a guy that's going to have a minimum floor of like five catches a game, five, six catches a game. And, and that's someone you could throw on your flex. That floor for Jameson Crowder is going to be so high that he's probably going to finish within like that top 30, in that top 30 wide receiver range. So he's going to be anywhere between a high-end wide receiver two to a, uh, a low-end wide receiver two to a high-end wide receiver three. And that's exactly why I am right there with you, Matt, on this because, you know, I, I see Jamison Crowder and we saw the potential in, in Washington. It just felt like they can never just get the best out of him. Yeah, like he had, like, flashes. But this next name, <laughs> I'm intrigued because, obviously, we both watched the show. Yes. And so I'm excited because I want to know what you know. So just for full disclosure to our listeners out there, I have an obsession with falling. I wouldn't say falling in love, obviously. That's premature at this point. But for a player to get them on my team or to predict them to do something in the NFL. Last year, when I was watching Hard Knocks, and Matt could vouch for this, and two of my buddies um, can vouch for this as well. I predicted that Miles Garrett was going to win the defensive player of the year. <laughs> and that I predicted that the Browns will have a top 12 fantasy defense. They ended up being like the fantasy, like 11 or 10 or something like that. Right there, though, right there on the cusp. This year, something it happened again. It happened again. I'm falling for Darren Waller, tight end for the Oakland Raiders. We all are hearing the buzz around him in camp, how he's flashing and how he's performing, making big catches. Derek Carr and him are are right there with each other and building a rapport. And when you have a position like the tight end position, which I've, I've expressed before, it's probably the second, if not first, hardest position to draft for in all of fantasy sports. I always say catcher in fantasy baseball is the hardest, but tight end is right there because after the obvious, obvious choices, everything else is legitimately just a dart throw. Legitimately just a dark throw. Darren Waller right now, according to Fantasy Football Calculator, is not even available because he's not even being drafted in leagues right now. I had to go, Matt, that's crazy. I had to go to fantasypros.com to see where they had him. And they actually have him going right now. Right now is going at the 2101. Who drafts in leagues that there's 21 rounds? So Basically, he's he's free. <laughs> he's free. You can. So here's here's usually what I do, right? I play in a league. Unfortunately, that still uses kickers. Okay, um, <laughs> um, I'm fine with it. I, I'm not opposed to playing with kickers. I actually like playing with kickers. I feel like it adds another element to uh, strategy on a week to week basis. Every year, with my last pick, I usually take a kicker. And recently, in the last two three years, I started this new strategy where. I don't draft the kicker. I draft another position player. 
because I usually draft right after the after week three of the preseason. I usually draft. So I have a draft on Tuesday. So I'm going to waste my last pick on an extra player, maybe Darren Waller. That way, that last week, right before leading up to the first game of the season, I have another week with this player just to see. And then if it ends up not being anything, I drop him. I pick up my kicker for the week. Not a bad strategy if you think about it because you don't need the kicker right away. You could just pick up someone on the waiver wire. There's plenty of kickers. So 12-team league, I'll get the, the 12th best kicker in the NFL. Like, it's, it's not that big of a deal. But, you know, I look at someone like Darren Waller, and I understand the issues that he had with the drug abuse, and Matt was touching on touching up on this issue earlier with Josh Gordon. But, it, you know, there's reports out with Waller that he's, he's clean. And he said it on Hard Knocks, if you listen, and if you watch the episode, you know, he used to get high on perks. He used to get high on codeine. Uh, nothing major, but he used to do it during games, during the, you know, the season, and he got suspended for, for it. He's 6'6", 255 pounds, ran a 4'4", 640, which is ridiculous for that size. 6'6", 255, and he ran a 4'4", <laughs> That's ridiculous. And we all know, that Cook walked out the door this year with 101 targets, which was the team leader, uh, 68 receptions for 896 yards and six touchdowns. And I understand AB is there now, but I don't view AB as a threat to post up the 168 targets he's used to getting. And then I look at everybody else on that roster. Jordy Nelson's not there no more. Seth Roberts is gone. Jalen Rashard is not going to get 81 receptions again next year. The only two receivers that are returning back to Oakland are Marcel Aitman and Dwayne Harris, who's basically a special teamer. Disgusting. <laughs> Disgusting. So they're going to need to find weapons, and this guy is an athletic freak. I think he's going to get involved. I don't know about 68 receptions and 896 yards, which is what Cook had last year. But I can easily see him eclipsing the six touchdowns that Cook got last year and get potentially more because of his size and his athletic ability. And not only that, but people don't know this, he was actually on the roster and played for the Raiders last year as well. So this is his second year going into the Gruden offense. I fully expect Darren Waller to be fantasy relevant. And just remember where you heard it first. Exactly. All right, guys. That's going to do it for us this, this week. So like, subscribe, comment, find us. We're on SoundCloud, Google, we're on the iTunes podcast system. Find us on Twitter. My name is Matt Kegler. You can follow me at K-O-E-G-L-E-R Matt. Justin, where can they follow you? You guys can follow me on Twitter at Palizzi21 underscore P-O-L-I-Z-Z-I 21 underscore. And make sure you guys follow the podcast page, Twitter page as well at football. So that's football, F-A-U-X. And for you guys listening out there, if you're still with us, I will be featured on the Sazo Now podcast radio show in Harlem next week. So make sure you guys follow me and Matt and our podcast page to see more information about that so I could drop that information as well. Definitely got to show some love to those guys out there. Until next time, we're out. Later. Peace.